I want to uh, open this evening with something to ponder. Uh, imagine that you've just walked into my office and you see two plants sitting there. One is alive and the other is artificial. The artificial one is obviously going to be very low maintenance. It's probably the kind of plants I should actually have in my office because you know, there's the green thumb, which means you grow things really well, and then there's the black thumb, which means you tend to kill it all, and that's typically what happens with me, but um, I'm trying to walk in my office. I actually have a living plant here. Um, that's a side. Uh, so artificial one takes low maintenance. You walk in, and it just needs to be dusted on occasion, and that's about it. Uh, it never blooms, it never gives any signs of life, even though it's green. And, you know, today, there's a lot of these plants, unless you're looking really closely, they kind of do look real, even though they are not. Now, the living one shows all the signs of life. It needs water, and sometimes the leaves bloom, other times the leaves turn brown and need to be trimmed. But, you know, at a cursory glance, if you're looking at these two sitting next to each other, you might not realize which one is alive and which one is not. But a closer and more thorough examination will always reveal which one is truly the living one. Some people in church sometimes resemble these two plants. While some are genuine and alive, others only give the appearance of a spiritual life, but in, re in reality are not. And for the month of September, we are looking at the book of James, and specifically the idea that our faith is one that works and is alive and is active, and that we are called to live a true faith that lives those things. We are called to always and everywhere be a living reflection of the faith which brings us to the topic of today, and how we might better reflect that living faith. Now, I'll be honest, this is actually a really simple text to preach for a normal congregation because it's simple enough to tell the church, so, you know, the folks who put a lot of money in the offering plate, don't treat them better than the other folks because everybody in the church is supposed to be treated the same. We're all one in Christ and there's nothing that separates one believer from another and especially not one above another. Now, all those things are true, but in our community, I don't see that quite as much as a problem, considering, you know, we're not a big uh, financial uh, giving congregation, which is fine, because we're also a college congregation, so it's, it's a different kind of thing. And so, you know, the economic pressures, I don't really see those playing out as much in our community. We don't have big donors, and there's not really a hierarchy. Austin can tell you, being president is more about the extra work you get. Actually, all of the elected officers can tell you. Being elected officer in this community is really more about the things you get to do in service rather than the privileges you get from serving. Uh, so you can see where preaching here, this text might not feel as relevant, but I think there's still a message for us today. Part of that is because we talk a lot about being an inclusive community, a community that we really try to live into this idea that we are welcoming of everyone. I mean, it's one of our three core values. Our, our mission statement is to love God, serve others, and welcome all. And it's that third one, welcome all. I really want us to be that community, to be a place where discrimination doesn't exist at all, ever, 
And I can think of nothing more Christ-like than being in a community that looks fully like all of humanity, in all of its diversity, to be a community that's truly welcoming of everyone. And also one that feels uh, where everyone can feel welcome in, which is not always the same as saying, we welcome everyone, doesn't mean everyone's going to feel welcome here. So I think a deeper lesson of this text, um, beyond the haves and have-nots that's very clearly articulated, is really a lesson about the evils of discrimination, how they have no place in the body of Christ. And when we reflect those things, we're not reflecting Christ, we're reflecting the world. And we're not living that faith we are claiming. Now, I came across a pretty good example of this uh, earlier this week. And I don't know how many of you heard or saw the video of the guy who used to be on the Cosby Show, um, who's now working at Trader Joe's. So he's gone from being one of the more famous TV actors in the 80s and 90s to a grocery store employee. Well, once people realized this, and he, they realized his quote-unquote fall from grace, that's when the ridicule began, because obviously no one has been on TV. No one who's been famous on this really successful, one of the most successful TV shows of the 80s, surely they would never work at a grocery store because, you know, there's hierarchy of jobs, right? Except that's exactly what he said. Uh, well, that's, that's exactly how people treated him. And so his initial response was, I was really devastated. But the period of devastation was so short. The incident, Owen said, shed light on what it means to work and the dignity of it. There's no job that is better than another job. It might pay better, it might have better benefits, it might look better on a resume and on paper, Owen said, wearing his Trader Joe's name badge during the interview. But, it's actually, but actually, it's not better. Every job is worthwhile and valuable. And if we have a rethinking about that because of what has happened to me, that would be great. Now, I share this partly because it is a fact that we as a society can and do look down on folks who, for the job they do. And here in DC, we're probably even more guilty of that. And when I'm saying we, I don't necessarily mean each of you as individuals, but like we as the society here in DC love to find out who's important and who has the best job and who has access to all the peoples. And that's the folks we tend to gravitate towards. It's clearly discrimination. And it's the kind of thing that James was talking about. To look at someone and say, well, you're the person who has the good job. And that person has that, you know, other job. Working at the grocery store, just the manager, you know. What's, what's good about that? James was saying, well, why would you treat this person different? Because they happen to do this job over this job. Why would you treat someone different because of how much money they have, how much money they have in their checking account at the end of the month. By the way, do you actually know how much money people have in their checking accounts at the end of the month? Because you, know, you have a high paying job doesn't mean you actually have a lot of money. At the end of the month. We look at people and we like to make judgments and we like to make decisions about um, where they fall on the scale in life. But James is actually trying to steer us away from that. He's trying to remind us that in Christ we are all one. 
And that's, if we're not careful, those little things can creep in. Because, you know, I can almost understand why people are like, man, you went from being a successful TV actor to manager of a grocery store. What happened? Now, there might be a what happened. Maybe things happened. Who knows? Maybe his acting career just never took off after that. Maybe he was typecast. Who knows? I, I actually don't know the answer to these questions. But I could see why people would say, but what happened? You were way up here. And now you're just, you're just like you're just one of the regular people. You're just one of all of us. How did this happen? We make these judgments. And the problem with that is even if we're not negatively judging somebody, is it can creep in a little bit. And then slowly we are making judgments about it. And this is exactly what James is trying to warn us about. Because when we start doing these little things, it creates a corrosive nature in our hearts. And slowly, it can start to, um, to corrode more things. But I also want to lift this up because it's not only a great example of what it means to have that kind of baseline discrimination, but it's also a great example of how we respond when we recognize injustice in the world. He doesn't lift this up as, as a faith issue. But I would argue that our faith would require us to recognize this and to say exactly what he said. So he says it's devastating me to be genuine. But then I realized, hey, if this, if telling this story can make it better for others, then I'm glad to tell this story. If this can make a difference, I'm glad to share this experience. And that's that's part of what James is talking about as well. Because it's not just saying I'm not going to discriminate, but I'm also going to create an equal place for you. We're trying to make an equal place for everyone. James wasn't really trying to create a do and don't list for us. Because it wasn't really about rules. It was about a way of life and living in Christian community. It's not about economic status even. It's about the broader issue of favoritism and partiality and the ways it plays out in our lives. We all know prejudice takes many forms in the world today. Discrimination based on race and gender and social status and class and sexual orientation and gender identity and ability are all things that appear in the news on a weekly, if not a daily basis. These things are everywhere. And part of where I see this passage extending is that we can't simply make a perfectly inclusive community here. That would be great if this community could always be perfectly inclusive and absolutely never have to do anything that's discriminatory, absolutely never do anything, even unintentionally, that's offensive, that would be great. But we have to do more than just do, do that here. We have to expand it out into the world. Because I believe the ever-expanding of God's love and the understanding of God's love is really what being Christian community is about. It's about making sure we're not just having community here, but opening the doors and making sure we go out and tell others so that they also know about this great love that God has for them. It means recognizing and doing our best to fix discrimination and partiality everywhere we see it in the world. Another story I heard this week was from a gentleman living in Portland. Uh, at least I believe it was Portland. He, he's a black man, and this takes place on his commute home from work. He tells of an altercation he had with a white passenger 
he tells the story actually in a really long, full detail, which I'm going to um, highlight with a link in the epistle. Um, so if you're particularly interested in hearing the full story, which is actually a really um, moving story, uh, powerful story, I, I would uh, commend that to you. But basically, what happened is he, he was on this crowded train. It was the commuting hour. And so he uh, actually was making room for folks and doing his best, you know, as you do when the train is crowded, because, you know, you get like this much space. And even then, that's not enough space. And you have people that are bumping into you, and he's doing his best. And there's this um, white woman who basically accuses him of having touched her. Now, he's thinking it's probably his briefcase. You know, he's holding a briefcase in one hand, and, and he's reading something in his other. And so he's thinking, oh, it must have been my briefcase that touched her. So he tries to, you know, shrink in a little bit more. And then the woman uses the N-word, but under her breath. And he replied, excuse me, did you say something to me? Well, she didn't want to answer the question, so he divert, she diverts it, asking him what he was reading. And um, he lets her know it was for work and kind of is going to just let it go, because why continue to make a thing out of thing on the train? Except then she makes another derogatory comment. The long and short is this continues to escalate until um, another man, a uh, someone who appeared to be a white man, actually stands up and gives this black man his seat in order to create space between the two of them. Because everybody, for the most part, could see what was happening. With this man feeling increasingly uneasy because with accusations being shouted out loud that he's touching this woman, he's concerned. How will others react? How will others treat me? And I want to share his thoughts on this. And again, these are, this, <coughs> this is coming from, uh, directly from his words. He says, as black people, the world is always watching and judging our reaction even more harshly than the original wrongdoing. Instead of judging police brutality, the world judges Kaepernick and BLM. Instead of criticizing Trump's encouragement of violence, they question Congresswoman Maxine Waters' civility. One poor reaction on my part could transform the woman into the victim and myself into the bad actor. Because of this, minorities need the assistance of allies. Yet each of these on the max were content to let someone else step in. And if no one stepped in, so be it. They were all waiting for the other person to act. No one wanted to be the first. I'm thankful for those who did act. But to the rest of the passengers, stop waiting for someone else to speak up. Stop waiting for someone else to do something. White people, if you're wondering what you can do, it's simple. Please, just be the first. We all know it is, these things are in the world. We all know discrimination is everywhere, even when we don't recognize it. And today, it seems like we might be starting to recognize it a little more in some places and some communities, but recognizing it isn't always easy. Sometimes we need to do more, though. We don't just recognize. We have to react. And sometimes that means even being first. Because it's all well and good to denounce these kind of things here and to say in this space that the discrimination and bigotry are wrong, but 
if we're really going to love our neighbor as ourselves, that means we have to do it more than just do it. We have to be willing to address it as the UMC membership vows state, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Here and out there. Because the faith that works should happen here and out there. So the message of the gospel and God's inclusive love might be known by all. And so that all are treated with dignity and worth everywhere. 